and generosity. Amen? Let us be a generous people. Okay, so this morning, there's one statement that I want you to take with you. I want you to write this down on your piece of paper or tablet or pen or just file it away in your brain. Where is your Samaria? Where is your Samaria? We are turning our attention to Acts chapter 8. So let's open our Bibles there. Everybody say word. Acts chapter 8. Where is your Samaria? We're starting in verse 4, picking up where we were last week. And this, this wonderful strategy that we see that God employs for the spread of the gospel. The gospel was going to go out. And the, and the strategy that he employs is the strategy of scattering. Okay, scattering. And, and as we saw last week, in fact, let's bring up verse 4 from chapter 8. It says, now those who were scattered, the systematic scattering, went about preaching the what? The word. They took Jesus with them. What caused them to be scattered? Do you all remember? Persecution, and specifically the persecutor Saul. That is absolutely right. None of us like to talk about suffering, and none of us like to talk about persecution, but that was the vehicle that God used to systematically scatter believers to the north, south, east, and west. And as they were scattered, they took who with them? Who did they take with them? They took Jesus. Oh my God. You fives, you're so sweet. <laughs> Dude, there is nothing sweeter than hearing a, a little one go, Jesus. That's right. They took Jesus with them. In fact, I quote here from Dr. Constable. I love this quote because it really surfaces this, this dilemma that we have. Because we like comfort, but sometimes through discomfort, God is glorified. So whereas persecution resulted in the death of some believers, that's a sad thing. Okay, that, is, that's, that makes us... It makes our hearts, the thought of somebody suffering. But it also dispersed the disciples over a wider area, which is a great thing. And what you're going to come to discover as you grow in your Christian life, there are times where you're going to be uncomfortable. There's times where you're going to suffer and maybe even face persecution. But what you'll come to discover is that through that, God will use it for good and he will be glorified. And as you grow more, what you'll care more about is not your comfort, but God being glorified above all. And it's going to bring you great joy when God is greatly glorified. And so they are scattered because of persecution, which is, is, a, is a, a painful experience. But because of that scattering, the gospel was spread. And one of the seeds that were scattered was a guy by the name of Philip. And we met Philip. In fact, he was one of the seven Hellenist waiters that we found in chapter 5 who were set apart for the specific work of, of serving the Hellenist widows. I'm sorry, chapter 6. And so Philip was along with Stephen and five other Hellenists, that is, they were enculturated Greek Jews. And Philip was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man that was full of faith. In fact, if, if Stephen is any indication of his biblical understanding, Philip was probably a biblical stud. And so he carried with him the scriptures, and he carried with him faith, and he carried with him the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 5 it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. What, what caused Philip to go that direction? What caused him to go? The persecution. He was one of the scattered seeds. So he's scattered to the city of Samaria. We don't know what particular city this is. There was a bunch of cities in Samaria. And proclaimed to them the Christ. Now we lose all shock value of that verse. But if we were a first century believer in Jerusalem, that would have been shocking to us. Because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. 
Okay, they had a long-standing hostility. There was deeply entrenched racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were seen as a polluted people. Okay, they were often described negatively as half-breeds. Okay, so along the line, they had intermarried with the Syrian, with the Syrian people that had, that had literally taken over that region during Assyrian captivity long in Israel's history. And so they had this deeply ingrained uh, antagonism towards them by the Jews. And the fact that Philip goes specifically to Samaria is pretty shocking. But then as I thought about it, it's not that shocking. Philip was kind of an outcast himself. Being a Hellenist Jew meant he was a Greek Jew, and he was a semi-outcast himself. And so God takes somebody who was an outsider and sends him to outsiders. And I love that. Who else spent some time in Samaria? Can you all think of anybody else? Can you all think of this guy, Savior of the world, Lord of the earth? Jesus. Jesus had spent some time in Samaria. John chapter 4, in fact, he had had to pass through Samaria because he had an appointment at a well with a woman. And it was through that conversation that that entire community of Samaritans came to faith in Christ, the Messiah. And so Jesus himself, an outsider, often spent time with outsiders. Philip, an outsider, an outcast, now is spending time with these outcast people, these outsiders. In verse 6, here's their response. It says, and crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And it wasn't just because of the words he was speaking. I mean, there was that. He was preaching Christ. He wasn't bringing glory to himself. He was preaching Christ, but he was also preaching in power. The, the verse goes on. It says, when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. It is clear here from the text that just as Stephen had delegated power of the Holy Spirit, so did Philip. He was able to cast out demons and, and to literally heal those who were physically handicapped. Verse 7, it says, For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice. And so we can experience this. Can you guys just like shriek and cry out with a loud voice? Wait, wait, wait. On three, Stephen. See, now in first service, I had to literally barter with people to do this. Stephen's like, you were out in the head. You guys are ready. Y'all ready on three? I want to hear shrieking, screaming, spirits being cast out. One, two, three. <laughs> would that get your attention? Yes, it would. I mean, people are, are literally being set free of demonic possession. And we often look at this and we think, oh, that's such a New Testament issue. There's no such thing as demonic possession. I guarantee there is demonic possession. It happens. I've seen it. A lot of, of demonic oppression and depression, it often masks itself as mental illness, but there are demonically possessed people, okay? And they, they could not be set free. But the preaching of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit was setting them free. I met one, one lady that I knew very, very close to our family back in San Diego. She was demonically possessed. And she, she had all kinds of things in her life, and she was involved in the occult and all of that. And then the Holy Spirit came into her life. She received Christ, and she, I remember her telling me, she's like, it's weird, the voices are gone. The, 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 the nightmares are gone. She's like, where did they go? The Spirit cast them out. The Holy Spirit and demonic spirit cannot coexist in the same vessel. And so they're being cast out. Verse 8 says, so there was what in the city? There was much what? There was joy. Exceedingly great joy. This miraculous healing brought about great joy into the city. A city that was now being confronted to what appeared, uh, is now being confronted with what appeared to be two great miracle workers. 
And what we don't realize is as Philip is going down and he is preaching Jesus and he's carrying out the power of the Holy Spirit, healing people, there was also a guy in the city named Simon. Good old Simon. And he was doing miraculous works and bringing glory to somebody. It just wasn't God. Okay, let's look at verse 9. It says, There was a man named who? Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Don't you love that statement? Don't you just love the people that walk around telling you how great they are? Oh, they're my favorite. Not really. Good old Simon, boasting of his own brand, how great I am. And he was amazing the people. And I don't believe these were just magic tricks. Okay, I don't think this was just sleight of hand stuff. I believe Simon was deeply entrenched in the demonic and the occult practitioner of the dark arts. I think in that, just as we saw with Moses and the magicians of his day, the wise men of his day, they were able to mimic some of the miracles that Moses was empowered to do. I believe there was some level of the dark arts at work in Simon. In fact, the text says that he would amaze the people of Samaria, boasting of himself. Be careful with people who boast of themselves. It's kind of scary, folks. Because the reality, if we're going to boast in anybody, who is it? Let's boast in Jesus. That's right, verse 10. But they all paid attention to him. Okay, so equally they're paying attention to Philip, and they're paying attention to Simon from the least to the greatest, saying, hey, this man is the power of God called great. They're literally saying that he's God-like, almost Messiah-like. They're attributing this to Simon. Simon was, I quote here from Rogers, and Rogers was a peripatetic, you're going to use that word this week, a peripatetic, it means traveling. I don't know why Rogers and Rogers couldn't wrote traveling in there, but peripatetic. Go ahead and throw that down in a sentence this week. I am a peripatetic uh, I don't know how to even complete the sentence. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not using it this week. Practitioner of the occult who had illicit dealings with the supernatural and he made money. See, people paid attention to him, but they also paid him, which is why he was doing what he was doing. Verse 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he'd amazed them with his magic. And so in one side you have Philip who is preaching who? He's preaching Jesus, and he is powerfully operating in the, in the Spirit, of the, whole, the Holy Spirit. And then you've got this guy named Simon who's preaching who? Himself! Operating the power of the demonic and the occult. But you know what I see? I see the people being wooed by both. And it shows me that people are pretty gullible. That humanity as a whole are easily influenced. I mean, I know none of us are. But people are. And that's evidenced very clearly in our culture right now with fake news. Okay, like fake news, we're, we're always like, oh, it's the purveyors of fake news who are the problem. It's Russia or whoever who else is peddling this stuff. You want to know who the problem is with fake news? Us! We're the ones that are believing it. We're the ones that are reading it, okay? And so just, I'm just going to make a, a disclaimer here. Just because it's on Facebook, just because it's on Twitter, and just because you can find it on a Google search does not make it true. You all hear me? I don't feel like y'all are hearing me on this one. Because you all are taking, we're taking like health advice, and we're taking like relationship advice, and spiritual advice, and we're like, well, it's on Facebook, so it's got to be true, so I'm going to go ahead and base my whole life existence on this. Don't do that. And so these people are being swayed. They're like, okay, so Philip's pretty cool. He's preaching about this guy named Jesus. We kinda, but this guy's Simon, so who is the one? But you know what happened? Verse 12, they believe Philip. Why? Because he was preaching of something greater. 
They needed something greater in their life. They believed that as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they had probably heard about Jesus. The story of the woman at the well, that whole community coming to faith, they had been talking about him, and they're like, whoa, he really is the Savior. Whoa, he really is the Lord of this kingdom. And they believed, and not only did they believe, but they were baptized. Both men and women, the community is baptized, and I love it. Verse 13, even Simon. He's like, I believe. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And so immediately Simon connects himself with Philip. And that makes sense because you've got one uh, magician kind of connecting with Philip. And he's like, well, I guess I'm kind of like Philip. And so he's like hanging out with Philip and going around. But then it says this. There were great miracles performed. And good old Simon was amazed because he was in the presence of true power. See, when you're in the presence of true power, when you peddle fake power, you get amazed. And so he is, he is amazed by what God is doing in and through Philip. And it's true to biblical picture of salvation that we see developed in the book of Acts. The message is preached. The gospel is proclaimed. People hear the gospel. They repent of unbelief. They receive. They believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And then they're baptized. But something interesting happens in this passage that we don't find really happening anywhere else. In fact, this is a, a deeply argued passage. You probably didn't know that. But we are entering into some very contentious waters. And so I want to give you some, some tools to work with because as much as you don't realize that this particular passage has been argued and has continued to be argued in our present culture and the church. So I want to make a biblical statement. Please listen. Can you all hear me if you can't say yeah? Perk those ears up, okay? You need this. You need this. If you find something occurring only one time in the scripture. So you're reading and something happens and it's unique. Whether it's, it appears to be like a unique teaching or a, a unique circumstance. You're like, wow, I've never, wow, that is unique. Okay, so if that word applies, listen to this. If it doesn't seem to play, take place anywhere else or you haven't read it anywhere else, do not base your entire theology on it. Okay? Do not base your entire theology on it. Because what happens here in this passage is the typical process of somebody coming to faith happens. The message is preached. The people hear the message. They recognize that they need a Savior. They believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he has died on the cross, that he was buried, and he's risen. They believe in that. They trust in him. And then they are baptized. But what is missing? They did not receive the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, I could imagine they were like, the who? The Samaritans? Remember that deeply entrenched racism, they're like, even the Samaritans, gosh, they had no idea how big the gospel was. Oh my gosh, it was so beyond what they could have ever imagined. Salvation just went way beyond Jerusalem. But when they heard, they sent to them Peter and John. I find that ironic. Peter is, is going to Samaria. John, I don't know if you know this, but in the Gospels during Jesus' earthly ministry, John was one of the apostles who asked Jesus if he could call down fire on the Samaritans. And so here he is going to Samaria. <laughs> I love that. Jesus has so changed his heart. The people that he at one time was ready to just toast, like Sodom and Gomorrah, is like now going down to verify that they had received the Holy Spirit. And I think in this, or they would receive the gospel, I think in this is where we find the reason why the Spirit was withheld. Look at verse 15. 
It says, They came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen on them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. That's really the only occurrence of this. And so the apostles, it said, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And I believe in this moment, it was not only validating for the Samaritans to know that they were truly in Christ, but it was telling the apostles the goal, the, the plan of salvation was way bigger than it ever imagined. That it included the Samaritans. And it didn't just include the Hellenists and the Hebrews and, and now the Samaritans, but it also included the Gentiles. The gospel was going to spread. It was very validating. And at that moment, they lay their hands on the Samaritans. And at that moment, they received the Holy Spirit, just as the Holy Spirit had fallen on the apostles at Pentecost. And so we have no idea how the Holy Spirit manifested himself, whether in, in tongues or some type of picture of power, or maybe it was just a deep and worshipful experience. But it's very significant that at that moment, the Samaritans not only received Christ, but now the Holy Spirit. And there's incredible unity established. See, the dividing wall of racism that had once separated is now broken. The Jews and the Samaritans are brought into one. Then the, the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles are brought into one body. It, family, there is a unity that is to be expressed here in the church that is not to be seen anywhere else on earth. Did you know that our world is fractured? Did you know that our culture is more fractured and more divided than ever? And you know what's going to bring unity? Jesus Christ. He is the one who brings down the dividing wall between black and white. He is the one that brings down the dividing wall between all races. He is the one that brings down the dividing wall of all languages. He is the one that brings down all, the dividing wall of all philosophy, all political separation. He is the one that brings down the wall. You all get what I'm saying? If you do, say yeah. His name is Jesus. There's unity in his name. going on. Verse 17, it says again, they laid their hands and they received the Spirit. I quote here from the New Illustrated Bible Commentary. It says, the Spirit of God created a loving fellowship out of the hate that existed. Where there is hate, Jesus brings love and unity. And that is to be best expressed where? Right here. Unity right here in the church. Verse 18, now Simon. <laughs> I love Simon. Uh, okay, so in the Jerusalem church, the issue was Ananias and Sapphira. That was the potential cause of disunity. And now in the Samaritan church, it's Simon. He's the problem guy. And so Simon sees the apostles in this place of prestige, in this place of power, in this place of prominence, laying their hands on, and then the people receiving the Holy Spirit. You know what Simon does? He goes, oh, I want that power. Look at verse 18. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. <laughs> I love this. It's so good. Saying, give me this power also so that if anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so his desire was that he would get this power because that's how he had operated in his life. He bought and sold spells and incantations. So he wanted to have the power to just be able to walk up to dudes and go, boom, and they receive the Holy Spirit. How do you think the apostles responded? How do you think Peter responded? Because at this moment, you know, you know what he's asking for. Simon is trying to buy prominence. He is trying to buy power. And he's trying to buy position. Okay, I call them the three Ps. Okay? And, and really, the root of the three Ps is the fourth P. It's pride. Prominence. You know what prominence is? The desire for prominence. It is the desire to be elevated. 
to be seen by others. The desire for power is to have influence over others, and the desire for position is to be over others. Those are very common desires in our culture, and those things sometimes infiltrate the church, but they have no place in Christ's church, this, this desire for. And so Peter's response, I find it fascinating, verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Remember, we're talking about the gift of God. Everything we possess is a gift of God. And so J.B. Phillips gives us a rendering of this, a very telling rendering, to hell with you and your money writes J.B. Phillips of verse 20. You see, what Simon did not realize, he was asking for something that could not be bought. And there are things, there are times where we try to obtain things in the church in the way that we obtain things in the culture. Because in the culture, it's all about prominence, it's all about power, and it's all about position. And it's often purchased with money. It's not like that in the church. I quote here from R.C. Sproul. He writes this, The grace of God cannot be earned or merited or begged for or borrowed or stolen. It certainly cannot be bought. If you think that the grace of God is for sale, then you insult him as deeply as Simon Magnus did. In fact, Simon <laughs> was so synonymous with this type of heart, his, his name became a verb. It became the act of simony. Have you all ever heard that term? Can you imagine your mess up is recorded for like all of history? It's like a, oh, that's a, that's a christening, or I don't know, like, insert your name there, but like for all of history, you're that guy. Well, Simony, it's the buying or selling of offices and privileges up based on, I would much rather be the Good Samaritan, right? How many of you would rather be a Good Samaritan than Simon? Me too. There he is. Well, verse 21, Peter says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Those are tough words. There are times where our heart is not right. I do not believe, some commentators believe that Simon was not a real believer. I believe he was. But I believe he brought all of his baggage into his relationship with Christ, just like we bring all of our baggage into our relationship with Christ. That's how things operated in his world before he became a believer. He just needed to realize that that no longer applied in the church. Verse 22, Peter says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness. You see, he didn't realize how wicked this desire was and how polluted his heart was. Repent of your, the wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. That is a euphemism for self-exaltation. Anytime we exalt ourselves, it makes our gut burn with acid. And in the bond of iniquity, the bondage that is created by self-exaltation and pride. And I find it interesting because Peter is telling Simon, look, repent of your wickedness. But Peter also had to repent of his wickedness of racism which brought him to Samaria. You see, we all carry our bondage in and our baggage in. I love Simon's heart, though, at this moment. I believe this is a soft and penitent heart because Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. He asks for forgiveness. I love that heart of Simon. It's so easy to write people off early on in their journey, but it's a process. And then in verse 25, we see how the apostles responded to their lesson of going to Samaria. It said, now that they had testified and spoken the word, where did they, they returned to Jerusalem, but how did they return to Jerusalem? What were they doing? <laughs> they were stopping in every city of Samaria on the way back to Jerusalem. They're like, God's love is for you. I know we're shocked too. <laughs> Come to Jesus. And they preached the gospel all the way through the cities of Samaria, all the way back to Jerusalem. I love that. 
because their hearts had been so radically changed. Man, there are times where we think we're right. Woo! And then God shows us just how absolutely gratefully wrong we were. Okay, so uh, we're going to see that gospel spread uh, over the next few chapters and really through the book of Acts and through the rest of history. But before we get to all that, let's give you some applications for this week. First, scattered and preaching. Keep in mind that question, where is your Samaria? Where is your Samaria? Because there's a moment here when I'm going to say amen, and some of you are like, I hope that moment comes quickly, where you're, you're, we're all going to be scattered. Okay, we walk out of here, family. We literally are scattered north, south, east, and west until we come back to, again together. Some of you are going to get on planes for the week, and you'll be scattered all over the United States. Some of you are going to be scattered all over Dallas-Fort Worth. We're going to get scattered here in just a moment, just like the early apostles and disciples were scattered, and we carry something with us when we're scattered. Okay, the most valuable thing that we carry with us is Jesus. Whether we go north, wherever we're headed. And through that scattering, so many more people are reached. It's, it's really a brilliant strategy. See, family, you have influence and you are involved in people's lives that I never will meet. There are people that you encounter every single week at your office, people that come in for healing. You encounter, you tell me that, Raph. You tell me that there are people that come in. Edward, you, you meet people that I'll never meet. And there are people that you know that probably... I don't know, maybe they, probably, they went, might not even step foot into this church or a church. Maybe you're the only Jesus they know. And that means you carry with you this incredible truth, this incredible reality of life in Christ, wherever you're scattered, north, south, east, and west. So I want to encourage you, because the church has invested unbelievable resource and time in outreaches and evangelistic crusades and church events. We're always trying to get people to come in the doors. Like, let's build bigger buildings so more people can come, and that's not the best strategy, family. The best strategy historically has always been scattering throughout the centuries. So it doesn't really matter if we have a building or not, because we're just scattered, and we carry with us the message of Jesus. So I want you to think about this this week. Um, Where you work, the reason you work there is because you carry the message of Christ. Wherever it is, if it's a fast food, high-end re- restaurant, maybe you work in the business world, maybe you work in, in the, the show, The Office, where it's just like you work at Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Maybe you, you, I mean, you're just like, I am in whatever the word is every single week. But you know what? You know why you're there? To carry the message. That's why you're there. Uh, let's talk about the place where you shop. You shop there to carry the message. Now you're like, no, I went there for groceries and a gallon of milk and all that. No, no, no. You went there to carry the message. You just didn't know it. That gives Walmart trips a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it make that trip to Tom Thumb all that more meaningful? Or Sprouts or wherever you shop at? Uh, Your kids play sports. Some of us have children that play sports or grandkids that play sports. That means we literally spend tireless amounts of energy and time driving them places and Cub Scouts and all of that. But you know why, why they're doing that? Not only for their fun and their enrichment and their growth, but it's so that we can also interact with parents. Eddie and I are a part of the local Cub Scout community. On my honor, I'll do my best to do my duty to God my country to obey the Scout law. I'll do the rest later. So we're a part of the Cub Scouts. We're Cub Scouters. We've got the shirts, okay? Yes, we look like Scout dads. And um, they're sweet, by the way. I like my uniform. Anyway, so um, thank you, Stephen. So we... Uh, we go to these Cub Scout events, and la- yesterday we had the Cubinopolis, which basically we painted these, these cars made out of cardboard, 
and uh, which which is awesome because we got to like spend all Friday night making them, and then they just tear tear them apart on Friday on Saturday. But they're running around the park, and it's so much fun. The kids are laughing and having a great time, and Eddie and I are are there, and we, you try to wrestle and get a group of kids to do something, man. It's like cats, and so they they finally do their deal, and we have a great time. And and then afterwards, we're sitting around with a group of adults, and one of the leaders there goes, "Hey, you guys are kind of like religious, right?" <laughs> it was awkward. Like that awkward, like, hey, you're, when we're going into our camp out, we're going camping at the end of October, he goes, what are you guys like, I don't know what you call it, like, you know, talk. Like talk for a while about um, God. We have a time. And, I, and, and Eddie goes, like a devotion. And he's like, okay. Uh, yeah, that, and just, if you could not, I'm like, you're uncomfortable with the idea of us preaching Jesus. He's like, well, kind of, but like, could you talk about God, and um, you can talk about whatever you want, and I was like, oh yeah, nothing more uncomfortable than talking about Jesus or politics, and we started laughing, and then at the end of it, they had asked Eddie if he'll bring a, a message at our Cub Scout camping to all these parents. Isn't that incredible? Just being scattered. Family, wherever you are at, wherever you're getting scattered, you, you go to that restaurant, not just because they have the best enchiladas with Swiss sauce, you go there because you're, you're scattered to carry the message of Jesus. You, you shop where you shop, you live where you live. Everything about your life is all geared around carrying with you the message. Okay, so you got that. Second, outcasts reaching outcasts. I love this concept. The message of Jesus has always found its best reception among outcasts. Did you know that? That the gospel has always found its best reception among outcasts, cultural outcasts. It's brilliant. And you know who typically carries that message? Outcasts. And so here's the reality. We're all messy, broken, real. We recognize that without Jesus, we were helpless. And so that means we, we, and then culturally becoming more and more outcasts as Christians. So we are free to reach everybody. So who is this Samaritan in your life? Who is that person where you're like, oh, there's no way. Pray to God that he moves in your heart to love and carry that message to them. Because we're all outcasts, family. If apart from Jesus, we are all a bunch of outcasts. Let's go reach the outcasts. Somebody say amen to that? Okay, and then I will conclude with this. Being someone great. This is simple. You want to know who, who's great? Jesus. Simon wanted to exalt himself. He wanted to buy prominence. He wanted to be seen by others. He wanted to buy power. He wanted to influence others. And he wanted position to be over others. Family, not here. The goal is to be a servant. To humbly serve one another, to bring glory to Jesus above all. Amen? All right. Lord, thank you so much for the wonderful attention of, of this, this gather, gathering of family. Lord, I love Sundays, Father. I miss this. I love this family, that we get together every single week, that we get to study your word, we get to worship and pray and take communion and give, and it's so edifying, and we're about to be scattered. North, south, east, and west, like sea, just like cast out into the culture. Lord, send us. I, I pray for those encounters that we don't even know are going to happen. God, we have no idea what to expect with this week. There are people that we're going to meet. We had no idea we were going to meet. We're going to have circumstances we didn't anticipate. There are going to be opportunities abounding, just like Philip was just like thrown, and he encounters this, this Ethiopian eunuch. God, I pray for those opportunities. I pray for our Samarias that we just have this, this heart to reach and tell people about you. 
In fact, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, and you would know, like in your heart of hearts, is he truly your Savior? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? If the answer to that question is no, please listen to this. The Bible states that we are all separated from God because of sin. And yes, it's as gross as it sounds. In fact, the wages of it, what we earn from sin is death. We're all given a death sentence. But that's why Jesus took our death sentence. Jesus died on the cross on behalf of our sin. He was buried and he is risen. He is alive right now. He is exalted. And the Bible declares that all who believe in Jesus, all who trust in him for the salvation of their soul will be saved. Give him your life. If you feel so moved right now in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried, and I believe you were risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. The Bible declares that that's your heart's prayer. You have just passed from death to life. You now have a life sentence of eternal life. The Holy Spirit has not only baptized you, but filled you. You are now a son or daughter of God forever. You are loved, and nothing can separate you from that love. Welcome to the family. And so, Lord, with joy, with great joy and anticipation of what you're going to do through us this week, we simply declare, here we are. Send us. In your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together and stretch. Deep breaths. I started my day with a little bit of yoga. Jessica, I think you'd be very pleased with that. Got some deep breaths going this morning. It wasn't pretty, but it was good. (laughs) Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, you are loved. Now go tell the world, go proclaim to the world, go declare to the world as you're scattered that they are too. Have a wonderful week.